Well, good evening. It's lovely to be here. I always feel home when I come out this way because I grew up out here and I never thought I'd be in a city church. And um, I used to live seven and a half hours northwest of here. So the Lord has his way of putting his people in places that he wants and not necessarily where we would desire. But it's always lovely to come out here and um, Brett and Todd are both dear friends and I've known, I've known Todd for many years and, and Brett probably uh, more uh, less time. But um, it is a wonderful blessing to be here with you. I thank you for Brett coming to preach for me in the last year and I can see some faces who um, visited us when we're going through a difficult patch and so that, that really means a lot to, to me and to our church. Um, we often pray for you guys. So... How about we come to the Lord in prayer as we look at God's word, his precious and powerful word. Let's expect great things from him. Lord, we thank you that we can come and worship you once more. The word is not often seen as a time where we worship, but oh, it is a precious time to worship. We worship by obedience, by attentiveness. We worship by hearing the beauty of the gospel and the glory of God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts now. Bless us this evening. Prepare us for another week in the world that we might worship the word and our dear Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, 2 Chronicles 29, I don't know, you are from a church with a Todd who is very Old Testament. Has Todd ever preached a sermon from 2 Chronicles 29? Usually most, most time I come up and I preach a sermon like this, um, there's no hands that have heard a sermon from a text like this. Yet a text like this shows us what true worship is and how transformative it should be. So the title for the sermon really is True Worship is Transformative and we see that in verses 1 to 19. But let me go back to about 17 years ago. I set off, was lived in Kasula, set off on my journey to be a bachelor living by himself. Now, let's just say my bachelor pad wasn't the cleanest place you could be. It, uh, I had enough clothes so I only had to wash maybe once a month. And people thought that was weird, but I I loved it. I had no curtains. I lived down on a farm in the middle of nowhere, so it was all right. There wasn't neighbours right next door. I had dishes stacked high in the kitchen. And the local rodents, let's just say, they were pretty uh, regular occurrence to see them. Uh, They were frequent visitors in my house. Um, I actually found one dead under... Some clothes, uh, after a while. Gives you a picture of um, how I first started out living by myself. But after I lived by myself, thank goodness for parents who love their uh, 22, 23-year-old son. Uh, My parents came for a visit. And the first thing my parents did was not go out and get new curtains and put new things on the filth. Um... I'm happy to say that. I didn't live that cleanly back then. I do now. Um, Now, my parents helped me first to clean. 
Clean up everything. Threw things out, clean it, got it in good order. Then afterwards, clean inside. We went out and got curtains. And we went out and got things that would keep it clean. We did not put that which was clean on top of the dirty. The clean would then be dirty as well. We put these things in so that my house could function well. You can't just put clean things on dirty. Sooner or later, the dirty contaminates the clean. See, we clean houses, cars, offices, all we want in this life, but that doesn't cleanse the heart. In 2 Chronicles 29, the people of Israel were to cleanse the temple, but they also needed to cleanse their hearts. They couldn't just keep their filth or that which was contaminated in the temple in there. They had to cleanse first, get rid of the filth in order that they could put what is fitting in the temple for true worship. Brothers and sisters, rebellion is constant in our lives, constant in Israel's time, and therefore cleansing is essential for them here at this time in the 8th century. And cleansing is essential for us and will always be essential not only for our initial salvation, but also for our ongoing sanctification. 2 Chronicles 29 is true worship requires cleansing. And so the first point is, I'm going to look at this passage in a bit of a different way. We're going to look at verses 6 to 9 first. And the first point is living contrary to God's command and forgetting God's ways. Let's read it again. It says, For our fathers have been unfaithful, straight away there, and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule and put out the lamps and have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object of horror, of astonishment, and of hissing, as you see, with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Well, this is a very much how not to do things. How not to do it. And by way of rebuke, it, is an, it encourages us to stay close to God's word. Essentially what they have done is gone from what God's word teaches. Now, Chronicles can be a pretty depressing book and, and if you want to play a trick on someone who wants to read the word of God, you just go to read 1 Chronicles chapter 1 to chapter 7 or this passage is um, quite a tongue twister. But Chronicles is depressing because Israel fails over and over and over. It's split up between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And time after time you have kings that fail in their responsibility to be king over Israel. It is a constant refrain of rebellion and disobedience to the holy God. They are given so many chances and yet they choose to live in their sin, in their filth, in their rebellion against God. They forget quicker than they remember. 
So when we come to Hezekiah, oh, Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles, it is so good. It's a breath of fresh air. It is a celebration. It is rejoicing. Finally, a king that is obeying the law of God, willing to cleanse the temple, willing to throw out all the filth. Oh, this is a beautiful chapter. This chapter is filled with excitement, with hope, and with delight in God's people responding rightly to God's word and loving God's ways. It's, it's not just a, I'm, I'm going to live a different way. No, it's I'm going to live the way that God has outlined in his word. Brothers and sisters, we are to read these words and rejoice. You may have not have thought that about 2 Chronicles 29 before. But read it and rejoice that his people have turned from their evil ways. Look at verse 6. as It says, verse 6 looks at this, that they, our fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They've forsaken him and have turned away their faces from their habitation. This turning away is, gives you this physical picture of a man's neck. He has seen the glory of and the majesty and the beauty of God, and yet he turns away from it and desires the darkness instead. That's the picture that verse 6 gives us. It's not the greatest picture. They had forgotten Psalm 123 and 121. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, and our eyes are to be towards him. In verse 8, this is a horrific scene of judgment. Therefore the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem and he has made them an object of horror, of astonishment and of hissing. It's because they have rejected his ways. And in verse 9, four years earlier, Judah and Jerusalem had been taken away under King Ahaz, trust they... King Ahaz trusted in other nations, Assyria, to fight for him, to deliver him. But Hezekiah, Hezekiah trusts in the Lord and he continued to do so. A a number of pages over from chapter 29 and you see one of the most incredible defeats that Hezekiah beat an Assyrian army of 185,000 soldiers. They died overnight. How do we comprehend that? That is the strength and might of our God. No kingdom, no mere man or king can ever outdo God. Why go to another nation when we have the Lord of glory, full access to him? See, brothers and sisters, we will constantly be tempted in this life like Ahaz, to be drawn to the world for help. To go to Assyria when we have Yahweh. In the face of opposition, in the face of pressure and doubts and fears, you and I will be pressured into going not to the Lord, but to others, to our society. Brothers and sisters, we are to learn from Hezekiah to seek the wisdom of the Lord and not the world for our struggles. We are to learn from Hezekiah to trust in the Lord.
And that's the first point, verses 6 to 9. There's that contrast between Ahaz and Hezekiah. But the second point is living in accordance to God's command, verses 1 to 5. In verses 1 to 5, it starts this way. Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And verse 2, notice here what it says. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. This important verse, we'll look at it in just a little bit. When we look at Hezekiah, we see much more of God's ways being obeyed and delighted in than possibly any other king, even David, in Israel's history. Now, has Hezekiah got a godly heritage? No. Ahaz was his father. Does Hezekiah, has he been taught in the ways of David? Well, I guarantee not by his father. The contrary would be true. No, Hezekiah's father was wicked, despicable Ahaz. He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He made idols and sacrificed to them. At the end of his life, Ahaz became more faithless for he sacrificed to the gods that defeated him. He cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. He shut the doors of the house of God and made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. There is no skerrick of worship of God in the eyes and in the heart and mind of this man. No wonder why God judged them and his wrath was upon them. See, Ahaz converted Jerusalem to idolatry. But Hezekiah converted Jerusalem to true worship. It's what a godly man who loves Yahweh does. This should encourage us because this teaches us that no matter your background, your upbringing, there is no excuse for rejecting God. It's not as if Hezekiah has had this great lineage of faithfulness. No, whether you were brought up in a Christian, Muslim, atheist, uh, agnostic, Hindu household, we can be like Hezekiah who heard God's word and responded to it by faith. Amen. How many of you have been grown up in non-Christian homes and are now a lover of Jesus? That's a testimony to the Word of God doing the work in your heart and soul. See, brothers and sisters, it is not what natural bloodline flows through your body, but whether the blood of Christ covers your sins. That's the bloodline that counts. And verse 2 gives us the first caricature of Hezekiah, this living in accordance to God's commands. Verse 2 says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. Now you might read that and think, okay, that's great, he was a good king. Remember what I said about all the other kings? Most of the other kings sounded like this. When you go through the kings of Israel and Judah... They either did not walk in the way of David, they walked in the or they walked in the way of wicked Jeroboam, or they did what was right with a caveat. They left idols up, or they left the high places, or the altars up on the high places. They didn't take it all down, but not Hezekiah. Notice what it says there in verse 2. 
He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that that David, his father, had done. This indicates to us that Hezekiah is an all-in sort of king. Not just doing the job partially for the position. Hezekiah mirrors the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. As Christians today in a very affluent world, society like ourselves, we hear this command, love the Lord your God with some of your heart, some of your mind, some of your soul and some of your strength. This is the way we live. We don't give God all that we should. We struggle with it. We're we're constantly drawn away like Ahaz is drawn to the world for help. We live like the scriptures say some or a bit and fail for that to really change our hearts and our minds and our lives. We're too comfortable here, friends. We're too comfortable in our setting. I pray that your heart would wrestle with that. To struggle with it. Hezekiah is all in. Let us let our Christianity drive our life and not be an add-on or an extra. In verse 3, Hezekiah's first act, so another caricature of Hezekiah, his first act, read verse 3 with me. So verse 2 gives us this great beginning of the king. Verse 3 says, In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. In the first year of his reign, in the first month. This is saying he did not take time to just sit back, relax, enjoy. No, straight away, worship was important to him. Obedience to God. He would open the doors and the cleansing of the temple must happen immediately. We cannot defile the Lord's house any longer. So Hezekiah's first act as king is to cleanse. Cleansing and sanctifying the temple. This word cleansing and sanctifying is used nine times in the first 19 verses. That tells you that's its emphasis. Remember, clean on dirty does not work. I've lived it out. He got rid of all, the, all that didn't belong in the temple and put back in all that belonged. Think of all the language in the New Testament of putting off and putting on. It doesn't, the New Testament doesn't just say, just keep putting on good things, good things, good things. No, it's put off the evil, the wickedness inside you, your unrighteousness, in order that righteousness can be put on. The Old Testament sacrificial system was about cleansing the people from their sins. And so where this wasn't done in the temple, the idea of cleansing did not come to the minds of the Israelites. So this needed to happen. Now Hezekiah was by no means a perfect man. I don't want to depict him in that way. But a man who followed God in the way of his word. He's not a perfect man. He's still, he was still a sinner. But what he did was follow God in the way of his word. That is our guidance. And so Hezekiah becomes to us 
or for us a man that we should follow because he is one who follows the word of God. The third thing about Hezekiah in living in accordance to God's command is obedience. Let's read verse 5. It says, And said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves. We go back to even Leviticus 8 and 9, where the Levites had to be consecrated in order to worship, in order to sacrifice and to cover the sins of the people. And verse 5 says, that now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. And this is obedience. Hezekiah is being obedient to the God's law. It is not a suggestion. It's not as if he is saying, well, this would be best or, or better if, if you did this. No, this is a command and it is emphatic. It is now, verse 5. Levites, now consecrate yourselves. It is a command in the Hebrew. See, when God speaks, we are to listen and act. And acting is sort of built into the word listen in the Old Testament. Listening was not just mere exercise of hearing something, but to hear and obey. That's what it really meant to listen to God. Obedience to God is not situational, but it should be regulatory for us. Hezekiah returned Jerusalem to the true worship of Yahweh. And you know how he did this? Verses 5 and verse 11, he did this by reminding the Levites of their place, reminding the Levites of their duty and their relationship to their king. What was their duty? And what is our duty? Our duty is to serve, sacrifice and worship. Their duty was to serve, sacrifice and worship and so is ours. We be not secure where we sit each day even when we hear God's word but examine ourselves. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Hezekiah realized the urgency of cleansing and responded promptly didn't wait it'd be easy for us all to say I'll get around to it later whether it be tithing I'll start tithing next year or next month I'll start giving God more of my time when I'm freer I'll start reading the Bible when I get my next job I'll start praying when things are easier the problem with those statements is that often The when doesn't come. We accord to the now. What is our duty? The urgency to worship and to be cleansed. If you are Christian, you were not chosen to be idle. You were chosen to to worship. We enjoy the results of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, yet neglect our duty as his children. We accord to be Believers who not only enjoy the results of Christ's sacrifice and cross, but to love living in light of it. And so that brings us to the third point, which is living 
by remembering God's ways. And that's verses 10 to 19. Let me read verse 10. It says, Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. Note two things at the beginning here. It says, It is in my heart to make a covenant, or it is in my heart to be faithful. That's really what Hezekiah is saying. It is in my heart to be faithful to the Lord. And notice if we go back to verse 6, remember the illustration of the, the man who's turned his head away from beauty to darkness? Well, Hezekiah realizes that God's wrath must be turned away. And he says, and he doesn't assume, but he pleads for mercy in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. Here we see a godly king, covenant with God, that God would turn his wrath away from them. It is in Hezekiah's heart to be faithful. It is in Hezekiah's heart to incline his heart to his God. And this tells us that Hezekiah is a king that wants to lead his people down the path of righteousness. And through verse 10, we know that wrath must be averted. The wrath of God, his fierce anger to be turned away. And brothers and sisters, this is one of my favorite parts of this passage, verse 10, because the cross highlights these two aspects. See, Christ came to live righteous as a righteous man because we could not. He was the king that walked that righteous path. Hezekiah tried, but he failed. Every king failed, but not Christ. As an example for us, but also as our substitute. And by his perfect sacrifice, that is Christ, and being the great high priest and prophet and king, God's wrath was appeased, turned away from us and placed on him paid the price. And so this king, Hezekiah, those two aspects are seen in the very bringing back the people to true worship of Yahweh. Will you be that person in your home, in your church, to be faithful, to walk the path of righteousness? And then Hezekiah in verse 11 addresses the priests like God's children, like like God addresses his children as sons. Verse 11 is a warning. My sons, do not now be negligent. For the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him and to be his ministers and make offerings to him. This is a warning to the Levites. This is also a warning to us all that we do not have an option. If you are a believer of Jesus Christ and you are in the priesthood, 
then you do not have an option here. This is not an opt-in, opt-out situation. No, you are God's people and you must serve in this way. Otherwise you will be under His judgment. We are all God's creatures and we don't have an option to not worship Him as He sees fit or live according to His law. No, the, the choice to reject God and to reject His ways and His worship is a choice to be under His condemnation. You're choosing one or the other. There's no neutrality. It is not choose your own adventure Christianity. You know those books you used to read when you were a kid? You could read the whole book without actually reading it, just following the numbers at the bottom? That's not Christianity. You don't get to choose the way of Christianity. God has shown us in His Word. Our choice... is that we come with humility by grace and through faith in Christ alone that we give all the glory to Him. Nothing of ourselves. It is not go your own way. Going our own way is going into despair. See, Romans 8.38 says, For those who are in right relationship with God, who have found salvation in Christ alone, who have had their sins forgiven, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so verse 15 in this text is very important. For it says, They gathered their brothers and consecrated themselves and went in as the king had commanded by the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. Cleansing follows the word of God. They they obeyed what the king had commanded by the words of the Lord. The king wasn't going off rogue to cleanse the house of the Lord. You can cleanse your house, your car, clean your room. You can do what you think should be done even in the church. But unless your cleansing follows God's word, you're just rolling around in another mud pit trying to put clean on dirty. No, God wants us to obey in the right order according to his word. See, obedience is part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. If you go to Matthew 28, 8 and 20, the Great Commission is so much obedience in there. Obey all that I've commanded you, says Jesus. And so in verses 12 to 15, Israel is hearing, seeing and doing according to God's will. Not their own. They have changed. All Hezekiah was doing was not being this revolutionary pastor or or king. No, if someone comes up the front and goes, I'm about to tell you something, no one's ever heard this from the Bible. That's red flags. (laughs) No, Hezekiah was doing what he was doing was reminding the people of what they had forgotten from the Word of God. And isn't that what we do every day when we read His Word? When we hear it preached, we're reminded of what we've forgotten. The beauty of the cross. That me, a wretched sinner who deserves hell, pain forever, 
Can you even fathom that? Was saved by the grace of God. This is what we are to remember. And each week it is the same. What have I forgotten about myself? What have I forgotten about God? What have I forgotten about His Word? About my duty? We are experts in forgetfulness. And that's not okay. How do we change to be experts in remembrance instead of forgetfulness? What do we do? What will we do this week to remember more from God's Word from Sunday? If we do nothing, we don't care. We're happy to remember. We're happy to forget. But if we do something, it shows that we want our hearts to continually be cleansed by the Word of God, by the blood of Christ, and remember more and more of His tender and steadfast mercies. Well, let me tell you how Israel did it. Verse 16 They were ruthless, drastic measures. The priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and they brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord and the Levites took it and carried it out to the brook Kidron. They got rid of the filth, rid of that which was unclean, which did not belong there. There might be something in your life that does not belong as a Christian. Will you take drastic and ruthless measures? It's not remember, then forget. No, it is remember and act. And so in verse 17, what do they do? They began to consecrate on the first day of the first month, on the eighth day of the month. They came to the vestibule of the Lord. Then for eight days they consecrated the house of the Lord. And on the sixteenth day, the first month, they finished. Sixteen days to remove the filth and consecrate the temple. Make it holy and sacred place once more. Another eight days more to cleanse the outward porch. And in verses 18 to 19, we see that they did it all. Then they went into Hezekiah the king and said, We have cleansed the house of the Lord. How enjoyable is it when your house is dirty, it's all nice and clean, and there's this satisfaction. How much more satisfied should we be when we cleanse our hearts. When we align ourselves more to God's ways. They did it all. There's no half job Harry's here. My boss, when I was, when I was a, uh, an apprentice, man, if I missed one little thing, he would call me half job. <laughs> and, and so often, when we think about Christianity, the... The goal is perfection, right? Which is why we need Jesus Christ. But the goal is perfection. And we should always be pursuing excellence in our Christian life. We don't want to be half-jobbers when it comes to following God. We want to be all in like Hezekiah. It didn't matter how long it took or how hard it was. They did it. Another aspect of Hezekiah is... In 2 Kings 18, verse 6, where it talks about this word that he joins himself to God. And it's actually the same word used in Genesis 2, 24, which is marriage with a man and a woman. This imagery of Hezekiah joining himself to God 
It's the same idea of a husband and wife joining together. That's how much he loved his God. And I, I, I love that that's in there. See, when I got married, my vows were not, and even though I don't wear a wedding ring, I never have, um, were not, you know, I'll give it a go. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try. You know, I'll... now that would be pathetic. Imagine how pathetic that would be. Imagine your wife going, what, he's just going to have a try? How long is this going to last? No, maybe that is where our relationship with God is. I'll just give it a try, you know, or just give it a, li- a little bit of time. Anyone who's married knows how hard it is and how much time and effort you have to spend. You have to sacrifice, love and care for each other. Say you're sorry. We don't do that in our commitment with our spouse. And we should definitely not do that with our Christianity. If the priests in Israel lived with this attitude, they would have been under God's judgment, and they were. And they did. The priests before Hezekiah felt the full weight of his judgment by being taken away from their homes, from their land. We are not called to just have a go, to try to cleanse. No, we are called to cleanse. Now, it reminds me of the wisdom of uh, Star Wars master Yoda. There is no try, only do. And we don't want to just give things a go. We need to be cleansed. And ultimately, we cannot cleanse ourselves. So that's why we always come to the foot of the cross in Jesus Christ. And in our sanctification, though, we do work hard in cleansing. Because we are called to. So how will we, how will we respond to the exhortation to cleanse? So Christians are to be people who cleanse their hearts daily. Purify yourself just as he is pure. Examine ourselves. What about this year? This year God calls us all to be cleansed from our sins and consecrate ourselves in service for him. And the whole rest of the chapter looks at that, what that looks like. Praising him, commitment, confession, Preparation for worship. See, brothers and sisters, we need to become more uncomfortable with earth so we might be more profitable for heaven. We need to hear that. We need to become more uncomfortable with earth so we might be more profitable for heaven. Think of one thing this week and see whether you'll respond this week like Hezekiah or like Ahaz where you have chosen to be faithful rather than faithless. I want to encourage you that in our prayers that and in a society where maybe Christianity is being squeezed out and pushed out, that Hezekiahs can be raised out of a world run by Ahaz. And we should pray for it. We should pray for it for more men and women to be raised up to be faithful Christians. Pray and obey. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. The key to cleansing is having a deep trust in the Lord. So how do we implement this then as we end here?
How do we remember? Well, let me encourage you to do these three things. And if you haven't done them before, try doing them for five minutes each day. The first thing, focus on God and His character. Nothing else. No petitions. Focus on God and His character and praise Him, whether it be for just 30 seconds to a minute a day. The second thing, flowing on from that, is reading His Word and meditation. Don't just read His Word. Make sure you find a verse before you go away from it each day that carries you for the rest of that day. Say it over and over again and take it with you. That will help you remember and not forget. Meditate on that one verse. And thirdly, respond in prayer. Make sure it's focused and intentional. And if you've only got a couple of minutes, do that first. And watch the way that God will work in your heart by His grace. He wants to give you more wisdom and He wants to grow you. That you will desire to do this more and more. Not just five minutes, but more and more each day. If we don't want to do this, it really is a question of do we want to obey the exhortation to cleanse? So let us praise and thank the Lord for Jesus Christ, who gives us the ability to be cleansed and that we would live our lives constantly with that in our mindset. Not that we're cleansing our souls, but yet not I. You know that new song, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And I pray that Hezekiah would be on your minds and hearts and that you would despise the faithlessness of Ahaz. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have graced us with it, that we can live that you have given us your good ways to live, to direct us. And Lord, that true worship is transformative. Why? Because you cleanse our hearts. You change us from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Flesh that beats for you. Lord, we pray that you would work in every heart and mind here. That we would be better at remembering instead of forgetting. Oh, may we remember the beauty of the cross, the glory of God, the Father, and the precious work of the Holy Spirit. Tonight, tomorrow, and forevermore we pray. Amen.